0: Hi, Jeff here from the University of Kentucky.
1: Ciao, I'm Kristen from the University of Minnesota. Salud, this is Tina from the University of Colorado. And
2: alam, greetings, this is Stuart from the University of Mississippi. Welcome to Pharmacy
1: Fika, a podcast for pharmacy educators by pharmacy educators, where we discuss teaching and learning, scholarship, and academic life. In Sweden,
2: a fika is a coffee break, but it's much more than that. It's a state of mind and attitude. It's all about slowing down.
1: And finding time for friends and colleagues.
3: While you sip a beverage and enjoy a little something nice to eat.
2: So join us. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Pharmacy Fika. It's epidose number 14, hard to believe. It's so great to take a break with you all this morning, as the intent of a good fika is to just take a break, a time out, enjoy each other's company, have a little (laughs) beverage, a little snack, and to talk about things that we care about in our lives. And we talk about professional things here that we care about. So I'm, I'm going to start by saying that I have some really bad coffee this morning, but it was a Christmas gift, so I will say that it's this caramel macchiato hot chocolate coffee mix, and I'm trying it for the first time this morning. I don't know that it'll be any good, but we'll find out, and my overnight oats, which I love making, so little little breakfast. Kristen, since we missed you last episode, we're, we're so grateful that you're here with us.
1: Thank you. I confess I was I'm at home and I was just downstairs eating some cinnamon swirl homemade bread. And I was thinking, why am I eating this now? I'm supposed to be this to my fika. But I have already had my snack and I have some some ginger tea. I was I was hoping that maybe Tina and I would be like twinsies and and both be drinking our ginger tea today.
3: Well, you are right on it, KJ. I am drinking ginger tea and I'm drinking it out of a mug. That was given to me by one of my first academic mentors, Bill Campbell, and the mug does say "I see dumb people" on it. And, <laughs> but that part's supposed to face you, so so the the recipient doesn't see that. That's okay. if you're right-handed. Like yeah, <laughs> <laughs> if you're left-handed, it, it will not do that. I'm actually a left-handed eater, but I, I, it's a tribute to my mentor who was reminding me sometimes when things are tough or there's a lot of bureaucracy you can just nod smile and take a sip of your ginger tea
2: (laughs) jeff i hesitate to ask but no you
0: shouldn't because today i have my sparkling water but i also have dark chocolate keto snap i guess it's keto because it only has like two grams of sugar but it's coconut almonds and dark chocolate so
2: wow it, it it looks the size of a pea, though. Not very
0: large. I mean, it's small. But I'm going to eat lunch as soon as this is over, so I don't want too much.
2: Yeah, we well, you wouldn't want to destroy your appetite with that, <laughs> that's
0: for
2: sure. <laughs> well, today, I'm glad Tina brought up mentoring and one of her mentors, because that's our topic for today, and certainly it's been a topic that's not new. Um, People have been talking about mentoring and mentoring programs and the importance of mentoring for a long time now. I wrote an article, a new article, called The Mentor-Protege Relationship 20 years ago now. And that's what kind of prompted me to think about wanting to talk about this, this topic is that it had been 20 years since I wrote this article. It's one of the articles that has been cited the most for me personally. And I wrote it because I was part of a master's degree program. And one of the things that we were required to do is research about a non-traditional method of instruction. And so I chose mentoring because I had a mentoring relationship that was very important to me and helped me during my first uh, several years in academia. And I knew that part of my success was due to that relationship, that mentoring relationship. So I wanted to write about it as how mentoring can further the professional goals of not only the mentee or the protege, but also the mentor. So that's what the article is about. But I wanted to revisit it 20 years later. Like, what do we know now? And, you know, what are some of the good and the bad of mentoring programs and mentoring relationships? So that's kind of the context. I did want to start out with people maybe sharing a bit about a mentoring relationship that has been particularly important in your life and describe it a little bit. So I don't know who wants to go first. I, I'm going to volunteer Tina because she mentions Ms. Campbell. And I don't know if that's going to be the relationship she wants to talk about, but it seems like a great one to talk about.
3: It was must have been early in your academic career when you were at UNC. It's true. Historically, like my pre-academic life, my mentors had mainly been coaches, like coaches involved with sport and things like that. And and then I had a really strong community pharmacy mentor, Sam Daniel, in Mississippi as well. But when I went into my first academic position, I was really in over my head. Very excited to be there, but in over my head. And Bill Campbell was the dean at UNC at the time. He was not assigned as my mentor. I don't even think we had an assigned mentoring program at that time. But I think what happened is I was working really late one night and my office was catty-cornered across from his he had, a, you know, the big palatial suite and I had the tiny little assistant professor office, but I had the door cracked open and I was literally weeping at the desk, just sniffing away, not, not bawling, but just, you know, it, it it was really hard. I was spending, I was working so hard and not seeing a lot of results from what I was doing. And I'll never forget, he came to the door. Of course, I didn't even realize he was still in the building and I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm fine. Everything's great. And I just felt like from that moment on, he really looked out for me, not in a always a soothing way. We had very different backgrounds. We're very different people. But he became my academic guide through that system. And our differences became a lot of what we could talk about. And then I really credit him with helping me find educational support first through a center for teaching and learning on campus Mm -hmm. and then ultimately inspiring me to go on and train for my edd that was really sort of his inspiration and it wasn't like he ever said okay tina brock what i think you should do is go get an (laughs) edd it was more he used a good questioning technique he looked out for opportunities for me through aacp and other ways and it it was very much transformative for my academic career not just by putting me on a pathway to success but sort of teaching me more about who I was as a teacher as a researcher as a clinician and I'm very excited to say that our relationship is still through many moves on my part and retirement on his part that relationship he's sort of the first person I think of when I when I Come up to a problem that I just want to talk through with someone.
2: Yeah, yeah. So that's a very long-standing relationship for you, and it continues to this day. Yeah, yeah. Kristen, how about you?
1: Well, I think I have kind of a contrasting story. I mean, listening to Tina's is is so inspiring, and I think that's what we all aim to have in this this quest for a, a mentor. I can't say that I've had a, a similar experience. I feel like I'm still got my eyes open and, and looking for that person that I'm going to click with. I came up through the academy before the whole mm-hmm. mentorship push. And I think I, I I didn't understand the distinction between advising and supervising and mentoring and coaching and all the, all the possible things that that people could be. And I think early on, kind of mistook my supervisor to be a mentor, and and ended up not having the the best situation play out. So yeah, I, I I guess I'm one of those people where the the system or the aspiration didn't go quite as planned. That's not to say I haven't had wonderful people in my career, you know, that that have provided advice along the way, that have connected me with a project that ended up opening up new doors for me. I mean, of course, I've had things like that, but having a singular person that has been with me over time, that has always put me first and all the all the kinds of flowery things we think about with mentorship.
2: I don't think your experience is unusual. And the things that you speak about in there, about what we think about in mentoring, one is someone who is serves many roles and its longitudinal, often years or decades in length, but things that you mentioned and Tina mentioned were people who put you outside of your comfort zone, create opportunities for you, ask good questions, have a longitudinal relationship. There's usually a personal quality to it, like you know about each other's lives outside of work. All those sorts of things are part of the classic mentoring relationship. Jeff, I don't know if you've had a classic mentoring relationship with someone, someone you have turned to over years or... You're more what I would say is typical that many people don't have this long relationship with someone.
0: Yeah, probably more typical. And I think I lie between, somewhere between Tina and Kristen in that I've had a number of people that I would think have mentored me over time that have been informal, never mentioned there's never like formal mentoring meetings or things, but people that have helped me that I've looked to that I've sought advice for in a number of different things, and I don't want to start naming names because there's too many and I would forget. And I've had one formal mentor uh, uh, it was through uh, peace academic leadership fellowship program. Actually, nice. we count two. We'd have the group. The group mentor was Lee Evans, um, group mentor, and and. We had, you know, obviously our local mentor, who was Tim Tracy, who was um, interesting. He was dean at the time, and then in the midst of it, transitioned to provost. So what sure. that gave me, and from that formal mentorship, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff that I had never seen before, and he did me into things, into projects that I would not otherwise have had the opportunity and I think the thing that was probably most beneficial about that relationship was he somehow got to know me and know what my interests and my strengths were and plugged me into those areas and provided opportunities for me in those areas. Now, it wasn't long term. Yeah, so I'm somewhere in between Tina and, and Kristen there.
2: So my the mentoring relationship I had actually dates back to my training program and, and both my farm being residency was so at the University of Texas the residency program was built into the Farm D program, the post baccalaureate Farm D program. So it was Henry Bussey, and we still converse today. Our relationship is much more on the personal side now than it is the professional. But in those early years, Henry, I was interested in ambulatory care. Henry's kind of a pioneer in ambulatory care. And so I get to train with him, be with him. He recognized my interest in the area. And then after I joined the faculty at Maryland, and so we had a great relationship as a student, but once I became colleague in the academy, he continued to create opportunities for me, reach out to me regularly. And then when I had stuff that was coming up and I wanted to talk with someone outside of the organization, he was the person I would reach out to and talk to. Because I think it's always great to have someone outside your organization you can talk to, because sometimes the politics within the organization makes that tricky, right? So I think that's one of the nice things about a good mentoring, a healthy mentoring relationship is they're a person who is not caught up in the stuff that you're dealing with and they're hopefully somewhat objective and they have your best interest in mind. And that's why I think it's very challenging to Kristen's point that someone who's your supervisor can be a good mentor because they got conflicting interests. That's really challenging. And that's no fault of their own. I mean, they may want to very much help you out, but they cannot play favorites. If they do, then that is a kiss of death for a supervisor. So kind of revisiting this, what were the qualities? People who are listening to this podcast, what are some of the qualities that being a mentor, if you want to be a good mentor, what would be the qualities you would say, these are things that you should try to do. These are the things you can do to become a better mentor. And the same thing with being a mentee or a protege. People don't like the word protege, but those getting mentored, what are kind of the qualities that one could have to maximize the relationship? And one thing I will start out by saying is we've talked about formal and informal. Like Tina and my relationships were very informal. Jeff's relationship and even Kristen's were more formal. You know, they were set by some Mm -hmm. circumstance. I would say the best mentoring relationships, and this is my opinion, are like friendships. They're organic. There's something about the personalities that gel, that just happen. I mean, it's like friendships. You can't force a friendship. (laughs) You can try, but it generally does not work out. (laughs) Um, And just there's something naturally that occurs between people who become friends. And so I think some of the best longitudinal mentoring relationships are kind of like that. They're organic. There's something magical that kind of happens between the two people and they mesh well. On the other hand, formal mentoring relationships exist and there are probably some things that we can do as both mentors and mentees to make them work better.
3: Yeah. And, you know, Stuart, I do want to say I've always felt very fortunate that I was crying very early in my academic career and somebody noticed <laughs> And it might have been that shock that Phil Campbell say, I need to help this person. They're really struggling. You know, I often find, even though Jeff had a very positive story about a formalized, this is your assigned person, think early. Like if you're coming into an institution, somebody that explains where the coffee is and h- how things work, you don't really have to have that deep a relationship with them. They just need to be friendly and open. And, and I think that there's a real need for that. I mean, I think oftentimes academic posts have a, what I call a harsh startup. You know, you just get there and you go in the office and you don't know what to do and you're afraid to ask anything mm-hmm. and every system's different. And so just having kind of maybe not a full on mentor, but just a buddy, a guide, somebody, that helps you get started with the culture, the custom, where things are, et cetera. And that person, I think probably you don't need all the qualities of a mentor. They probably should be friendly and they should probably take the initiative to reach out, not wait. I hear so many times people like, oh, they never called me, that my mentee, my assigned mentee didn't call me. I'm like, well, you should call them. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There's a power dynamic there, right? And as yes. a mentor, you have a lot of obligation to doing the reaching out. Eventually they'll feel comfortable enough to reach out to you. But at first, you gotta be the one reaching out to them. Yes, absolutely.
3: Exactly. But but then when you're looking for, okay, now you know where the copier is, you know how to get coffee, you know, on Wednesdays we do this. That next level. I do think you, you really need to have some choice in that process. The mentee um, and the mentor, I just wonder if we don't get enough guidance about sort of how to choose. I mean, I'm thinking back to sort of how people choose PhD supervisors and you hear a lot of stuff on social media about like, this person was a highly cited researcher. They're amazing. They won a Nobel Prize and then you get in their lab and you're <laughs> miserable. But it's because that choice is a much more personal and individual choice. One thing I would say from my very classic mentoring relationship, the art for me has been classic to peer mentors to now reverse mentoring. And and so I think if, if we could provide some guidance for people about when you're seeking out someone, for me, a big factor was diversity, somebody who was, had a, different mindset than I did because I needed somebody to to help me question myself in a very kind and open way to challenge me in a, in a good way.
0: A different, primarily students who I've mentored in the past is there's not one set way to mentor because I've had students with very different personalities and I couldn't treat them both the same in terms of me contacting or setting up regular meetings or how conversations went because they were completely different people. One was one was very forward of coming for help and seeking guidance. And the other one would have to draw it out of them because they were very reserved. And I, I still don't think I have that down yet, but I at least recognize that it's different for each person.
1: I would agree. I think flexibility as a mentor i think mentors need to kind of read the tea leaves and and look at the landscape and kind of understand what's being said but also what's not being said and what the needs are that may not even be perceived and yes the personality differences too i need to to realize that just because i would take a certain action that doesn't mean that this other person is going to be comfortable doing that or that, that that fits with who they are. So I think it just takes a lot of flexibility to read the situation and understand the person and, and adjust.
2: Yeah. One of the things that I wrote about in the article, and partly because I personally experienced it that way, is that having some professional work in common really helps to solidify the relationship. And it was those inviting messages that I got from Henry. Early on, when I was a student, he invited me to write an article with him. And that led to more professional work. But before that, I liked him. I admired him. But until we had a chance to work on something together, we really didn't have the opportunity to get to know each other. And it was his invitation, not me going to him and saying, I want to write an article with you. It was the other way around, right? And I, and so he was looking for opportunities to work with me. And that signaled to me that he wanted to get to know me better. You're checking each other out, I think, at that stage. And that was a positive experience for him and a positive experience for me. So it led to more articles and more scholarly work. And we continued to work for years until eventually my interests were a bit different than his. But still, the relationship continued after that because we knew each other well at that point. And so that I, I guess that would be the recommendation I would have for those in mentoring. If you see a student that has promise, or you see a trainee has promise, or a junior faculty member that has promise, invite them to work with you in some way and just check each other out. I mean, you don't have to call yourself, I'd love to mentor you. Actually, it feels weird. That's sort of like saying, I'd like to be your friend. You just say, I'd like to work with you. And here's a project I'm working on. I'm wondering what your interests are. And you get favorable feedback on that. Then, then things can go from there. So that's why I always feel that's the entry point. And it has to be meaningful work, not something you just made up, right? Like, I'm going to mentor this student, so I'm going to make up this busy work to do with them. No, this is actual work you need to get accomplished, and you'd love this person's help. And so that way it's mutually beneficial. They're learning things, and you're getting some help. And I don't mean that in a, in a way that you're using somebody either. You're actually very interested in developing the person and And so it's not about using them for your own ends. That's been the formula that I've used for for years. And many times I invite students and they don't follow through or or learners and they just don't live up to an expectation that I have. And that's fine. I mean, it doesn't turn into a long term relationship, but several of them have. And you, you can't expect home runs on every person that you invite.
3: I talked a lot about that classic mentoring relationship, but I wanted to give a shout out to something that wasn't really designed as peer mentoring, but it ended up providing a lot of support for me as an academic, which was, I was part of a, what was then an all-female pharmacy faculty fantasy football league for about a dozen years.
2: yes. And if you haven't read Tina's article about this, it is an AJPE,
3: and it's a a
2: wonderful story, It's
3: probably, you know, up there on like top 10 weirdest papers in AJPE, but we really got together. We all liked sport, and it was the beginning days of sort of fantasy football leagues and things like that. But because we talked to each other, at least online every week around football, and we tended to meet up at particularly APHA and AACP, And people were at varying phases of their career. Nobody was too far ahead or too far behind. But like one year, one person would go up for promotion and then they would tell everybody about that process and things like that. And I just found like that was very, I felt very comfortable asking questions. Psychologically safe. Psychologically safe. And we really celebrated Professional successes along the way, papers, awards, promotions, as well as personal successes. Many people found long term relationships, had children, and that I think created the psychological safety, even though many of the people I didn't know personally until the league and we did a lot of trash talking too. <laughs> But it was such a safe space to do it. So I think collectives like that really appealed to me. It's not for everybody. I can remember working with somebody who was just like, oh, that just sounds horrible. Everybody talking to each other and sharing and caring and just, you know, you should be reading. But <laughs> I like, her. okay, you be you, I'll be me. But I started finding like, okay, this is really meeting my needs in a non-classic way.
2: Right. Yes. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that these were groups of all women, because one of the classic problems with mentoring was that it often advantaged white men, because mentors were often white men, and then who were they mentoring? Other white men. And this was 20 years ago now. So there were many groups that were disadvantaged. They didn't have access to those powerful white men. Uh, And women would be certainly one of those groups. People of color, all sorts of different groups have been because it's a good old boys network. Mm -hmm. And um, so has that changed? Do you think in the last 20 years that the dynamic of who benefits from mentoring relationships has evolved a bit? Is it because there's greater awareness of the importance of mentoring that we do have better mentoring opportunities for women and people of color? Or do you think that's still a major problem?
3: And if it is still a major problem, what do we do about it? We're, guys, we're recording this on the day that the AACP DEI Institute is just, is just kicking off. Some of you may have teams from your schools participating in that. And I think one of the things there is, and Stuart, you, you hit the nail right on the head. I do think at the senior level of the academy now, I, I would love to know how many professors, associate deans and deans are participating in the institute as opposed to assistant and associate professors. Because I think awareness raising without shaming the person to say I, I benefited from classic mentoring. My original academic mentor is a white man, you know, um, but that those needs may be different and we have to really learn learn about how that works and that probably means some openness on the point of a mentor as well as a mentee to engage in those kind of conversations and for all of us to to learn more about what makes an inclusive mentoring relationship right um now is the time because i do think our assistant and early and mid career folks are suffering from a lack of guidance and coaching. Thoughts, Jeff,
2: Kristen, about whether formal mentoring programs help disadvantaged groups, at least in the way we had hoped?
1: I think I have mixed feelings. I'm sure in some instances they do, in some instances they don't. And I think my observation has been we we perceived a problem. And so what do we do? As good people, we develop structure and process. And so we, we match people up and, and we say, you're going to meet so many times and then we're going to evaluate you at the end. You're going to evaluate the relationship and we put all kinds of structure and process around it and it, it may or may not work. And I think for some of the reasons we talked about earlier, what, what are we doing? Like, none of us have time to just kind of like sit around and chit chat. Like, what are we doing together? You know, how is this mutually beneficial? And those are things that can be hard to structure in, yeah. you know, to, to, to factor in and make, make work happen. You can't force a connection. You know, we, we are human beings. So as much structure and processes we want to put around things, then like in our workload, we have to declare in our annual documentation who we're mentoring, how we're mentoring them, how many hours we're spending. If we don't have mentees, we need to go get mentees, <laughs> you know, like. And so, you you know, forcing, 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 and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I think we just can't fall into the trap that that's the answer.
0: Yeah, and I think, I, I agree with everything Kristen said, that formal mentoring programs are well-intentioned, um, designed to do the right things, but with mixed success, um, particularly if we're, you know, we're talking underrepresented people in the academy, that you know, a white male in uh, of them and become the mentor. Well, that mentor knows of this is what works for me, but that may not be the same thing mm-hmm. that works for someone, a different race or gender, or nationality or personality type or or whatever. I mean so many different complications, I think, involved with trying to to reach uh, in groups that haven't had that mentoring before. And oh, that I'm not positive, I'm sure someone exactly how they, what made you successful, Stuart, and Tina successful, and me successful, and Kristen successful, may not be the same things that, on my mind, recently, because our department just started a, a formal mentoring program for our junior faculty or new hires, It. It is, though, a team-based approach in that it's got someone from a teaching standpoint, a research or scholarship standpoint, and maybe a professional career standpoint. It's a team of people to to meet with and help, and that that new faculty member has someone to go to at least for those things. Now, will those be the mentors that advance them through their career? Maybe, maybe not, but it is one of those things we knew as a department, we can't just let new hires come in and leave them on their own because they may or may not be successful yeah. on their own because of personalities and, and different things.
2: Yeah, so my impression is is the last 20 years we really have grown to understand that mentoring is important. What we haven't quite figured out is how to formulate more formal process so that it is not burdensome to both senior and junior faculty, that it's not arbitrary just to say we have a m- mentoring program. How do, how do you measure success? I mean, there's still a lot to learn about how to do this well. It's a certain kind of pedagogy that's different because it's it's much more one-on-one. It's much more longitudinal. And I think it's much more relational than other kinds of pedagogy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I hope people will continue to do scholarship in this area to understand it better, because I think if we grow to have a better understanding of the qualities and how to formulate these, we we can get better at it, I think, over time. But right now, I think a lot of it is good intention, but not not quite working for a lot of people. So the last thing I wanted to kind of address is the dark side of mentoring. Um because I don't think it's all kittens and rainbows that all mentoring relationships are beneficial. And I would say sometimes they can be negative. One of the things I mentioned in the article is sometimes mentors have a hard time letting go. They've become so dependent on someone to help them with their work. They actually be kind of using that person to further their own career without really furthering the career of the person that they're mentoring. In other words, letting them go off and become their own scholar, their own clinician. And so that that's one negative thing that can happen is that you're not really building someone up to go off and be independent. You're creating dependencies and and you become very resentful when they try to break off. That That is very unhealthy for both people.
1: Stuart, I want to explore the kind of the reverse side of that too. I mean, certainly that's not good for the mentor. I think there are times when the expectation that I have a mentor is not in the best interest of the mentee. When it becomes that I can't be successful because I don't have a mentor.
2: Oh yes, yep, wow. that's an
1: other dark side to this. I agree. Or I don't have the right mentor, or my right my mentor is not doing the right things uh, for me. I'm not getting support from my mentor, and kind of not taking the the personal responsibility, not seeing options for themselves. You know, kind of tunnel vision. About this one relationship is supposed to do everything for me, you know, and and not developing these other relationships, so I think there is a a dark side, so to speak, for the mentee
3: what i what I'm also receiving from the from my mentoring relationships as the mentor, and there are many contemporary areas, diversity, equity, inclusion is one of those where I feel like I continue to learn a lot from the people that I may be mentoring on traditional academic Issues, But a resource that I found that's really helped me is it's by Michael Bungay Stanier, The Coaching Habit. Say less, ask more and change the way you lead forever. So it doesn't really sound like it's a mentoring book, but I, I would consider it a mentoring book. And it has sort of seven mm-hmm. essential coaching questions, which just starts out with what's on your mind and what else? Those are the two first questions. Yeah, I love it. Very open ended. Very open ended. And then you sort of go into what's the real challenge for you? What do you really want from me? How can I help? If you're saying yes to this, what are you saying no to? That's a very important one. <laughs> and what was most useful for you in this conversation? And I told you my original mentors, pre academia, were coaches. Going back to that coaching habit for me, has made sure that when I get into the room or the Zoom with any of my mentees now, I may think we're going to, in my mind, I'm like, oh, we're here to talk about this. But if I start with those questions, then I may hear that even they say, hey, can I reach out and talk to you about this publication? And I go into the room thinking, okay, let's talk about this publication. So those questions actually help to make sure that I understand what they're looking to get out of it and what, what they want success. And sometimes we cannot discount. Sometimes people just say, I need to vent. <laughs> yeah, I just need to vent about something. I don't want you to solve the problem, do anything about it, call anybody, maybe hand me a tissue, but I just need to vent. And if, if you know that up front, you just thank you. I will receive this for you and I will put it right over here where it doesn't bother either one of us.
2: Yeah, what I like about that is I think those are one of the things that we could all be better at, certainly myself included, is that when we are having the mentoring conversation is how to guide that well. They are the same kind of skills that we would use with patients. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit of motivational interviewing. It's a, it's a little bit of coaching. And of course, as mentors, I think the other quality that's really important is that you're sponsoring. You're looking for opportunities for the person to help further their career. Mm-hmm. And that's what, in my mind, pushes you from just a coach to someone who is a mentor, that you're actively looking for opportunities to help advance a person's career. And that, that to me, is is the difference. And when I really care about somebody, that's, that's what
3: I try to do. And I'm sure that's true for all of you. What mentoring looks like varies for, for everyone. But I hope that people can be purposeful to, to seek mentoring and to provide mentoring in whatever way that that looks like for your needs and for your ability to support. And I hope we have many more conversations about this, normalize that, talking about mentoring.
0: Yeah. And I will say I'm at um, from this morning, and we have an announcement from our college to where there we have a mentoring curriculum this is designed to teach people how to be good mentors. And it's eight sessions of 90 minutes each, along with some other accompanied readings and things. So, you know, this is a serious thing. This is not thinking, well, it's a 30-minute session and now go mentor.
1: I was just thinking about how, you know, our success and our satisfaction, our, our happiness to some degree is is based in connection and finding relationships that are good fits for us, that that challenge us, that support us is important. I hope we don't put everything in the, the mentorship bucket or try and make every relationship fit a mentorship kind of scenario, but that we all just do look out for ourselves and look out for others. Are we meaningfully connected? Are we getting the support that we need? And the way that that happens may vary.
2: As always, Kristen does such a great summary of our episodes and with that i'm gonna say love to see you all in february when we do our epidose number 15 and so goodbye to our audience goodbye
1: bye everyone later tangers
2: Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Fica, a
3: podcast
2: where we enjoy coffee and conversations.
3: If you liked this episode, please pass it along to a colleague and be sure to rate us. You can share your
0: reactions on Twitter at Pharmacy Fica, but please be kind. This is a safe space.
1: Got a question or want to suggest a topic for a future episode? Leave us a voice message at speakpipe.com slash Bye for now. Namaste.
0: Dasvidanya.
1: Au revoir!